Good morning, Grace Chapel. First day of March. Isn't that crazy? I mean, but it's good because that means we're one step closer to. You're all thinking about it. Yeah, I know you are. But this is nothing to do with the message today. This is really bad um, because you're not supposed to do this, but, um, you know, get off track. But does anybody have a birthday on February the 29th? I'm just curious. I just, I just, because I, I don't, I've never known anyone who's had that. Once every four years, you get this huge buildup, and uh, I just wondered because I was going to sing happy birthday to you, but not going to happen now. So that's that's probably a really good thing. Last uh, two weeks ago, we had our annual business meeting, and our fiscal year starts today, and it runs through through next uh, February. I know it's awesome, and so we approved a number of positions, but we also approved a new uh, budget for this fiscal year, and it begins today. Um, and I, I'm ex- are you excited about it? I'm excited about it. Yes, yes we are. But here's the, here's the deal. Um, uh, we also had an announcement uh, during our meeting, for those of you that missed it, that our parking lot, you may have noticed, is in, is in need of some repairs and some work and uh, extensive. Uh, within, within a number of years, we're going to be you know, we're going to be doing it, and uh, we got we got to start working towards that. And so we've we created a fund with some of the surplus money we had from uh, last year, yesterday, and um, it's, seriously, it's from last year. So four thousand dollars just to get it just to get it going. And any money that goes into that parking lot fund from here on is going to be matched, dollar for dollar. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. Praise God. That's, that's awesome. So we'll be announcing this a lot. And uh, um, for, so if any extra that you have, any extra shekels you have in your pocket, um, just keep them to biblical, and uh, you, can, uh, you can pop that in and it'll be matched. I think it's awesome. So have you been washing your hands with soap for 20 seconds? I hope you, you know you're supposed to do that anyway. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's like, duh. Yeah, so we're supposed to do that while we're going through the book of James. Uh, for those of you visiting, we go through a book of the Bible, and then we go through another book of the Bible. Oh, amazing. And uh, we're going through the book, the letter of James uh, at, at this point. And today, as we go into chapter 3 and move into there, he's going to suggest that some of us, if not all of us, may need to be washing our mouths out with soap. <laughs> yeah, and, I'm serious, and it's coming. That used to be a thing, and thankfully it's not anymore. But let's pray. Let's pray together. Lord, as we prepare ourselves for what you have, uh, we know that you have already been preparing the way in each of our lives to hear these words written by your faithful uh, disciple, James. And God, we are, we are thankful uh, for uh, how you know our minds and our hearts uh, so deeply, so intimately, so personally. And those of us who, who call you Lord, and uh, through our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, our Savior, we look forward to how you're going to teach us and guide us today. Uh, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Has your faith, that faith that we give lip service to so often, has your faith in Christ been put to the test lately? You don't have to put your hand up because you, you, we probably all have experienced that. Some of you may be in the very middle of it right now, but your faith is being pushed to a limit. It's being tested, as we, as we read in James earlier in Hebrews, the last book of the Bible we went through before James had much to say about that too. Maybe it's a challenge 
from the current culture in which you find yourself. And your faith is just being challenged in your mind. It's, it's excruciating as you try to process what's going on in our world and in our culture today. Maybe it's from science. And science itself is challenging your faith and what you're hearing. Maybe it's a relationship fallout that you uh, are going through, have gone through. Maybe you've lost something or you've lost someone uh, very close to you and your faith was tested. Question, how did you fare on that test? How are you faring on the testing of your faith that is maybe happening right now? How are you doing with that? Jesus' half-brother, James, who wrote the letter that we've been spending weeks in and we've st- we're just over halfway through, he was concerned about the inevitable pain that we, the church, will endure in this life. And he wrote a letter to encourage us. But as we've discovered so far, he seems to be more concerned about the genuineness of our faith. It was this, is as if he's saying to his readers, it is far more important, brothers and sisters, because that's a phrase he loved to use, it is far more important, brothers and sisters, that you have real faith than that you are suffering. And he wasn't being insensitive. Uh, if anybody knew pain, it would be James as the leader of the, the church at the time he's writing this letter, who would soon, after writing this letter, face martyrdom. Uh, he, he understood what he was saying. Uh, he knew firsthand that faith, that real faith, gets you through the pain and the suffering that is inevitable in this, in this life. But, but, so, but here's, here's where we kind of left off last week. How can I as a reader of this letter of James, tell if I have the real deal or not? How can I tell if I have real faith? How can I, to use James' words, not be deceived into thinking I'm something that I'm not? How can I get away from just merely listening to what God says and actually applying it and doing it in my everyday life, in my home, at my school, at work, with my neighbor? And not just going about business as usual. Church is over here, my faith is over here. How can I get away from that? Well, he gives us three marks to know where we might be at, to evaluate, to, to, to look at each other and hold each other accountable to these things. And so far, it's been controlling your tongue. How are you doing with that? Okay, everybody's like, yeah, okay. In, in, our, in, our, in our Sunday morning uh, study, as we're, as we're going through it together, um, at 9.45, there's a seat for you in case you want to show up. Um, we were talking about uh, how we talk about this controlling our tongue until we get in the car and get behind the wheel, and then everything just goes. It's like... Controlling your tongue. Caring for the needs of those less fortunate than yourself who are experiencing the pain of life and need someone to come alongside and not just pat them on the back and say, everything's okay, but here's something to help you, whatever that is. And then the last one, which is a constant day in, day out, 
battle, and this is the temptations of life. It's avoiding worldliness. What our world and our culture tell us is acceptable and is okay for you to go for. And that was summarized by James back in chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. And now we get into chapter 3. And in chapter 3, in the first two verses, James is going to begin to address, to elaborate, to expand on the first one, your tongue. How do you control your mouth and what you say and what comes out so that you're not always reaching for those words and trying to grab them because it's impossible and you can't take them back? Verse 1, not many of you, this is kind of interesting, like why is he going here? Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters. You feel good about that? You're like, yeah, Pete, that's why if you say you want to teach the kids on Sunday morning, I say no, because I don't want to be a teacher, and that's not what he's saying, okay? You can't use that as an excuse. So why does he begin here? Last week, we, it was all about faith and works. Uh, um, a faith minus works equals death. And now he's going to talk about the tongue, but then he's got this teacher thing. Well, teachers, people who teach in small groups, in large groups, one-on-one, parents to their children, you are a teacher. Teachers typically are at the forefront in most churches. And maybe you've noticed, they use their tongues a lot, a lot, some more than others. And he was warning his readers and you and I about the terrible possibility of taking up the task, the calling of teaching, especially within a church community context, with the wrong motives. Wrong motives. In those days, and, and it used to be in our uh, years ago too, but it's not so much now. In, in those days especially, there was a lot of dignity that came to someone who had a teaching position within a church community, regardless of how big or how small. Um, you were taught to regard your teachers with the utmost respect. Does, does that still happen today? I'm just, yeah, yeah. Those of you who are in school, is that, is that, yeah, yeah. The very title for teacher, which what Jesus was called it, it was, begins with an R and ends with an I, rabbi, yeah. The very title rabbi means my great one. I mean, oh my goodness, talk about an inflated ego when you get called that. So one's duty in society was to help the rabbi exceed, uh, and it exceeded every other duty um, imaginable. Uh, Even more than helping, you were to help the rabbi even more than you were to help your own parents. It's it's crazy. In fact, there's a there's a uh, there was a rule. Uh, amongst the Jewish community, that if a ra- that if, if if a rabbi and your father and your mother were captured by an enemy, you know, and held for ransom, duty demanded that the rabbi be ransomed first. Sorry, mom. Sorry, dad. Gotta you know, hang in there. Scratch together some more change for you. Uh, but this whole concept, this whole authority thing, created a temptation for many to take up teaching in the church so that they could receive the fawning of an adoring public. We don't see any of that going on today, do we? Where people strive for a particular position so that they get all the attention and they get all the respect and they get all the 
all the stuff. Of course, that would never happen today. To anyone, by the way, who is interested in teaching here at Grace Chapel, um, by all means, check it out. Take up the calling if that's what you're called to. Um, Take up the work because it's a lot of work. But make sure you're doing it for the right reasons, that you have the right motives. We're not here to teach, to satisfy our own egos, but we're here to bring glory to God and to God alone and to deliver His Word accurately, which takes a ton of work and preparation for the eternal benefit of everybody who's hearing it. Verse 1 was, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, because you know that we will be judged more strictly. So, oh yeah, there's that judgment thingy too. There are many, many ways that you and I can misuse our tongue. And we do it pretty naturally, which will be the way James ends off this section about natural things and what we're supposed to look like naturally as followers of Jesus Christ. But there's, there's blasphemy, there's lying, there's gossip, there's profanity, but none's more serious than misrepresenting and distorting the Word of God. Verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways. So James has emphasized the importance of good works, but he, but he humbly acknowledges that all Christians do stumble, but if someone does not stumble, in what? Could we all stumble? But get this, he says if you don't stumble in what comes out of your mouth, if you don't stumble in what he says, this tongue, this, this thing in my mouth is so huge because a person's words he's saying reflect a person's character. And they're a key to your whole being. Control your mouth and your whole body, and you will stumble less. He is perfect individual, and we know what James means by perfect so far. He's used that word a number of times, and it refers to being mature. Mature in what you believe, so much so that you act and you say the things that reflect what's really on the inside, and you're under control of the Holy Spirit, and you will be able to control the entire body as well. Do you want to achieve spiritual maturity? This is a obviously just a basic question for a, a group of followers of Jesus Christ. Do you want to achieve spiritual maturity? And everybody says, yes. Concentrate on what you say. Concentrate on your talking. If you can get your talking under control, God says through James, the rest will be relatively easy for you. Good priority. James does not say that spiritual maturity is is impossible. He's not saying that it's easy. He's saying it is possible. And the way to begin achieving maturity is by giving special attention to what you say. This came up in our our Sunday morning class too, uh, um, that we all noticed that we typically don't have our tongue under control especially when we're around people we love that are familiar with us, that we're familiar with them. That seems to be, for some reason, okay. 
We would never say that to our boss. We would never say that in church. But in the home, we do those kinds of things. In all of human history, there has been only one person who did the work of God perfectly. Anybody? This, this is an easy Sunday school class question. Uh, God, no, 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 no. Holy Spirit, no, no. Uh, Jesus, yeah, very good. Yeah, yeah. It's not Satan, okay? All right, so that's not the answer for this particular question. Who did the work of God perfectly, and, and that was the perfectly mature Lord Jesus Christ. So our plea this morning, James' plea, is not for perfect people to go about the work of teaching or else no teaching would get done, but it's for imperfect people to go about the work in a serious, Holy Spirit-dependent way, praying as you go that the Lord will use you in your weakness. And like Paul, we plead, every one of us should be pleading for people to understand, for all of us to understand that we are mere earthen vessels. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Every one of us is made out of clay for God's use. And to say with Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves. Never believe that deceitful lie. For we are not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Even the words we're going to speak. But here's the thing about the tongue. You've probably figured this out already. We all have enormous difficulty controlling it, right? We can safely assume that James is writing this letter and specifically what he's saying to each of us today because his readers have been speaking incorrectly. I think it's safe to assume. I don't think I'm reading between the lines. I think that's what James is saying. Hey, I've heard you or I've heard someone told me, you guys, get it together. What you say really matters. Perhaps... Let's, let's remember what, what the background here, the history, what's going on when James is writing this letter to these Jews in, in, in Palestine and around the Middle East at the time. Maybe they're complaining about their circumstances, and that is completely understandable if this is what's, what's happening. There was a, a huge famine going through the whole Middle East at this particular time in history. Paul was going around collecting money for the church back in Jerusalem and the surrounding area um, and a lot of those other letters he wrote in, in the Gentile community to, to support and help them get through this famine. They were being shut down in their families and even in their work, places of work because of their faith in Jesus the Messiah. There was real pain and loss going on. So maybe they were complaining about that. Or, or maybe they were, as we've been reading, and you can see this, maybe they're complaining about each other within the church community. Of course, that never happens in church, right? Not, not today. We, we've, we've gotten past that. This is like 2,000 years ago. This would never... Okay. 
So maybe they've been complaining about each other or, heaven forbid, criticizing each other. <sighs> Never want to criticize. The fact is, when a Christian is undergoing a trial, maybe you are right now, it doesn't mean that you are perfect and mature. It's not a badge of honor. And it also doesn't mean if you're not going through a uh, trial, but you are struggling controlling your tongue. It's the same for both. It's the same for all of us. James' point is it's our faith response that matters. Chapter 1, chapter 2, and again now here in chapter 3. When stuff happens, how do you respond, typically? The truth is that just like a, a life of ease, maybe you're going through a life of ease right now. Have you had those seasons? When you're going through a life of ease and everything seems to be falling in place and everything, somebody says, how you doing? I'm doing great. And you really mean it. Sometimes that can take you down a road of self-sufficiency and a lack of dependence on God. That can happen. That's the danger. That's the temptation. Just like a life of difficulty can make you less careful about sin, the tongue and how you use it being a primary way in which we sin and we grieve God. The fact that we are going through hardships can make us think, and I've, I've been there, I get it. Sometimes we can think, you know, I deserve a break. Um, I'm entitled to a, f- a few free passes because of what I'm going through right now. Um, I know you've never thought this, but have you ever, you know, get off my back? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you've said it. Get off my back. I'm having a bad day. Cut me some slack. It's not me who got angry and lost it. It was the pressure. And James is saying, no. It's you. Having your faith attacked and being under that kind of trial and that kind of pressure doesn't give anyone the right to throw off all restraint, the right to talk nasty to each other or about someone else. And sometimes we're like, yeah, I would never talk nasty about anybody within the church community. It's all those people outside the church community. Let's talk nasty about, we're okay, it's okay to talk nasty about them, right? Those evil, wicked sinners. No. Trials provide you and I the opportunity to show the difference that our faith in Jesus Christ alone has made in our everyday lives, how it's transformed us, how, 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 how God is, is changing us more into the image of Jesus Christ, who is our model. That's the standard. Can our speech, though, I mean, maybe you're sitting there going, yeah, yeah I hear what James is saying, but can your speech, the way you talk with your mouth, really have that big of an impact on the world, 
and on the church and on people. Can it? Well, James drives this point home right now in the next three, in the next couple of verses, starting in verse three, where he draws attention to three large things. Notice this: three really large things that are affected and controlled by three really tiny things. And if we put bits into the mouths of horses to get them to obey us, then we guide their entire body, just a little teeny bit in the mouth. Look at the ships, too. You don't believe me about the horses? Okay, let's get a little bigger. We'll go to big ships. Though they are so large and driven by harsh winds, all this circumstance, all the storms, all the stuff, doesn't matter. They are steered by a little tiny rudder. I put in little. They are by a little tiny rudder. Wherever the pilot's inclination directs. Just boop, 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 boop. So too the tongue is a small part of your body, yet it has great pretensions. Think, and now he's going to go even bigger than a ship, think how a small flame sets a huge forest ablaze, and your tongue is a fire. The tongue represents the world of wrongdoing among all the parts of your body. That's what it represents. That's what's coming out. It pollutes the entire body, and it sets fire to the course of human existence. This is a big deal, what you say. Is it important? Can we really be used by God to change, to transform, to, to incite excitement in the things of God? but your tongue can be set on fire by hell. Yes, H-E double hockey sticks. There it is. Your words can represent and put into actual expression all the wickedness of the world is what he's saying. It's, the potential's there. The tongue has a way with words. <laughs> It can turn life upside down inside a church community. Just words. No, there doesn't have to be any physical fight. Just what you say can turn this place, this community, built for God, upside down, as well as inside of you. Evil speech destroys because, as James says it here, it comes from Satan himself. Is that who you want to influence your life? James' older half-brother, Jesus the Christ, said in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, the good person, of course, that begs the question, what makes a person good? Certainly not what you say and what you do and who you are. Only God can make a good person good. The good person, though, out of the good treasury of his heart, which God has replaced with a heart of flesh, produces good. And the evil person, who's not being transformed by a new heart, out of the evil treasury of his heart, produces evil. For his mouth speaks from what fills his heart. That's where our words come from. 
And James says in verse 7, for every kind of animal, I mean, this is, this is just nature, this is our world, this is, this is how things are. Every kind of animal, every kind of bird, reptile, sea creature is subdued and has been subdued by humankind, but no human being can subdue the tongue. You can't do this on your own. And even for those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Savior and indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, do you still battle it? It is a restless evil. It's always there. Full of deadly poison. With it, we bless the Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people made in the image of our Lord and Father. One man said that the tongue is the little hypocrite in our mouths that can make big hypocrites out of us. And it's, it's just hypocrisy. Church, we get accused of this all the time, and often rightfully so. Let's get over Let's be transparent here. It's hypocrisy to bless God during a worship service like m- most of us have done. Through, through songs, and now you're, hopefully you're blessing God as you're reading His Word and you're constant in prayer with Him. And it, it, it's hypocrisy to do what you and I are doing right now and to acknowledge Jesus Christ as our Savior as we partake of communion in just a few minutes. And then afterward, maybe even during the lunchtime, to curse someone in a whole variety of ways who's been made in the image of God. For whatever reason, I don't care. Verse 10, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. The same mouth. Have you ever said this? I'm so sorry, I just snapped. (laughs) Or or something similar. I'm just so sorry, I just snapped. No, you didn't. Don't even go there. What was already on the inside just came out. That's what James is saying. We don't have any excuses. These things, he says in verse 10, these things, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God, these things should not be so, brothers and sisters. This just this can't be the way it happens. It just can't happen. Not in a church community. It can't be tolerated. These things should not be so. And then he gives examples from from nature. A spring doesn't pour out fresh water and bitter water at the same time, does it? And all God's people said, no. Can a fig tree produce olives? I don't think they've done that yet. Right? And can, um, or, or, or a vine produce figs? No. Well, neither can salt water produce fresh water. And in these three illustrations of ridiculous natural contrasts, this is just, this is just silly stuff, right? It's like, no, this isn't going to happen. James drives home the point that for the church, there's only one thing that should be coming out of our mouth. And anything else can't be tolerated. It is not the natural way 
for followers of Jesus Christ. And if we're guilty, and when we are guilty, we must repent. So, so, so how are you feeling about your tongue? <laughs> You're like, oh, I'm so glad I came today. That was refreshing. Uh, God's Word is challenging, isn't it? And isn't it interesting how God orchestrates things and the timing of things that we're talking about what we say and we're talking about confession and we're talking about coming clean and here we are celebrating what? The, the Lord's Supper. Communion. A time of Holy Spirit introspection. So where am I at? How am I doing? God, I, I confess the name of Jesus Christ and his shed blood on the cross for my sin debt. And I stand before you by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not my own, and I, and I celebrate that fact with these two elements. The cup representing the spilt blood of Jesus Christ, creating a new contract between God and man, written in God's own blood and the bread representing his broken body for you and for me. And we make this confession. Maybe there are some other confessions of sin that should take place before we put it into our mouths. So we get an opportunity to do that. Now I'm going to ask the men to come up for, forward right now. And... If you're visiting with us and you haven't partaken of communion with us before, um, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior...